Welcome to your first official day of medical school. I'm Brian Elliott. You're listening to MedStead Memoirs. Recently, we've added a few members of the team, like Sarah. Sarah, what have you been working on? Hi, Brian. I just interviewed someone who struggled with postpartum depression as a new mother, and I'm really excited for everyone to hear it and learn a little bit more about an illness that we really don't talk much about day to day, but is actually relatively common. So like Sarah said, this episode, we're going to be talking about postpartum depression, which has been described for a long time with roots going all the way back to Hippocrates. When it began to be officially recognized as a disease in the 19th century, women were described as neurotic and subjected to a variety of very questionable treatments. In present day, postpartum depression has become much less stigmatized. We now recognize the impact of postpartum depression and also the importance of effective screening. This episode, we're going to cover everything a medical student should know about postpartum depression. At a comprehension level, any pre-medical student can understand. Before we get started, our book recommendation for this episode is Pushback, Guilt in the Age of Natural Parenting. It talks about the pressure to keep everything natural during birth and how this is something that should really be determined on an individual basis. You can check it out by clicking the link in the description or you can listen to it for free. Just click our link to Audible and get a free 30-day trial with your first download free. Let's start with some definitions. What is postpartum depression? Technically, it is actually not categorized as its own disease, at least according to this thing called the DSM-5, or the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. The 5 just represents that this is the fifth edition of the manual, which was published in 2013. Simply put, the DSM-5 is basically what a group of leading psychiatrists decide is the best categorization of mental disorders. Currently, postpartum depression is categorized as a type or subset of major depressive disorder, Specifically, this subheading of postpartum depression is defined as the manifestation of at least five symptoms within four weeks following delivery. The qualifying symptoms are those that we typically think of when we think of depression and include feelings of sadness, loss of interest in activities, changes in sleep habits, decreased appetite, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness, loss of concentration, or recurrent thoughts of death. So let's talk about the risk factors for postpartum depression. A large number of risk factors have been identified, but the factor that has the largest effect and is most consistently associated with postpartum depression is a past history of depression. Additional factors that are frequently associated with postpartum depression include stressful life events during pregnancy or after delivery, or poor social and financial support. Now, the direct biochemical mechanisms responsible for postpartum depression are unknown. Suspected contributors may include genetic susceptibility, epigenetic phenomena like DNA methylation, and hormonal changes, as well as psychological and social problems and stressful life events. Now let's talk about how to screen for postpartum depression. The most widely used instrument is the 10-item Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. It's a short, self-reporting questionnaire that takes less than five minutes and asks questions about mood, sleep habits, and other symptoms of postpartum depression. You can find the scale online, and we'll also include a copy in our show notes at medstudmemoirs.com. Although it's a quantifiable screening tool for postpartum depression, it's really always important to simply ask patients how their mood has been lately. So let's talk about why it's important for us to identify and treat women with postpartum depression. Hopefully one reason is obvious, because no one should needlessly suffer from depression. But beyond that, depression can interfere with many aspects of the mother-child relationship. 
For example, women with postpartum depression are less likely to breastfeed, which prevents their children from receiving the associated health benefits. Luckily, both suicide and infanticide are very rare, but we obviously must always be aware of these risks in our postpartum patients. So if you identify a woman as having postpartum depression, the treatment is similar to that of depression in any other patient. Generally, you can start with therapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy or interpersonal psychotherapy. Some patients will also require or simply may prefer to utilize pharmaceuticals, usually a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. That about wraps up the basics of postpartum depression. However, it's important to know that it's actually just one part of a spectrum of postpartum mood disorders. Within the spectrum, postpartum depression sits between two other major disorders, postpartum blues and postpartum psychosis. Postpartum blues is essentially a milder form of postpartum depression that commonly presents as a depressed affect, tearfulness, and fatigue a few days after delivery. It is actually pretty common, as more than half of women who give birth will experience postpartum blues. It usually resolves within two weeks, and the go-to treatments for it are termed supportive. Basically, these women should be reassured that what they're feeling is real, and that these symptoms are unfortunately very common. Let them know that for most women, these symptoms are self-limiting and should resolve without further intervention. You may want to consider referring them to a cognitive behavioral specialist, especially if their symptoms are significantly interfering with their day-to-day life, or if the symptoms do not resolve within two weeks, leading you to suspect that this really is postpartum depression. Of course, these women should also receive a follow-up assessment to screen for postpartum depression. Postpartum psychosis is on the more severe end of the postpartum depression spectrum. The incidence rate is very low, 0.1 to 0.2% of births. It's characterized by hallucinations, thoughts of harming one's baby or oneself, and mood-congruent delusions. These are delusions that are in line with the mood disorder, which in this case is depression. For example, a mom could have delusions that her baby hates her or that everyone is talking about how bad of a mother she is. Risk factors for postpartum psychosis include a history of bipolar or psychotic disorder, first pregnancy, family history, and recent discontinuation of psychotropic medication. Treatment involves hospitalization and the initiation of atypical antipsychotic medication. If none of those treatments work, electroconvulsive therapy is sometimes used. So we've talked about three postpartum mood disorders, from the self-limited postpartum blues to the severe postpartum psychosis and we briefly discussed the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Score, which is a short, patient-reported survey that can help us identify which of our patients are struggling. So if screening seems so easy, why is the diagnosis and recognition still so difficult? Well, postpartum depression is often not recognized by patients and clinicians because the somatic symptoms of depression overlap with some of the usual discomforts of having a new baby, such as fatigue, difficulty sleeping, poor appetite, and low libido. On top of that, women are often reluctant to discuss their depressive symptoms, many times because of perceived social expectations that new mothers are supposed to be happy, and they fear embarrassment, guilt, and stigma. In addition, some mothers fear that their babies will be taken away by child welfare agencies. So because this can sometimes be difficult, let's practice identifying postpartum depression with a couple of case studies. A 26-year-old G1P1001 comes to your clinic for a postpartum visit two weeks after an uncomplicated vaginal delivery of a baby girl. FYI, when someone describes a G number P followed by four numbers, the number after G represents the number of pregnancies, the number after P represents full-term births, preterm births, abortions either elective or spontaneous, and living children, respectively. So our G1P1001 patient 
had one pregnancy which resulted in a full-term birth to a child that is still living. Anyway, this woman states that she has had trouble sleeping, which she attributes to a baby not sleeping throughout the night. She also reports her partner has noted mood swings. She endorses some episodes of crying, especially when tired. However, she generally enjoys spending time with her new baby, and the two of them go out for walks twice a day. She denies anhedonia, or the loss of pleasure, suicidal ideations, or thoughts of harming her baby. What's your diagnosis? Being a new mom, it's totally normal to have some mood swings and inability to sleep after giving birth, though she should still screen using the Edinburgh scale. She may qualify as postpartum blues, but at the end of the day, she just needs some support and a little counseling on symptoms to look out for. Let's try another one. A 26-year-old G1P1001 with a past medical history of depression comes to your clinic for a postpartum visit three weeks after an uncomplicated vaginal delivery of a baby girl. She missed her scheduled two-week appointment. She says the baby has recently not been feeding well and claims, quote, something is probably wrong with my milk. When you ask about social support, she states that she just stayed at home with the baby during the recent holiday instead of visiting her family. When asked why, she said she just couldn't find the energy to get out of bed. And even when she does, she gets overwhelmed every time the daughter cries. In fact, this is the first time she has left the house since her daughter's birth, despite multiple invitations from friends. When asked what they enjoy doing together, the patient tears up and says she doesn't know how to answer. She denies suicidal ideations or thoughts of harming a child. What's your diagnosis? Now this is more like the typical picture of postpartum depression. When asked about something not going right, she attributed it as her fault, saying it's probably something wrong with my milk. She also stayed in during the holidays, which could be a lack of finding enjoyment in activities. She also had the major risk factor of history of previous depression. It's important to ask her if she started taking SSRIs again for that and when, because they take a few weeks to kick in. She could also be considered for cognitive behavioral therapy. And that about wraps up everything a medical student needs to know about postpartum depression. Next episode, we'll hear one mother talk about her own experiences with postpartum depression and see how this medical content fits into real life. In the meantime, you can check out more case studies at our website, medstudmemoirs.com, and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.